Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. Eight thirty-four, and joining me is Professor Andre Gagne. Andre Gagne is chair of the Department of Theological Studies at Concordia University in Montreal, and his most recent book is American Evangelicals for Trump, Dominion, Spiritual Warfare, and the End Times. He is also co-author of a three-part reporter's guide on the New Apostolic Reformation. And Andre Gagne says that the New Apostolic Reformation churches and its global vision you know, are driven um, by um, theocratic notions of total societal dominion. And it's important for all of us, and especially journalists, to understand how the new apostolic reformation's theology of political power poses a threat to democracy. And that um, uh, we need to hear the story and get the story right. Um, we need to ha- acquire the knowledge to tell the story, as well as the vocabulary, to describe and discuss the movement. This, he, dis- he says it's an important feature of the religion and politics of our time. So good morning, uh, Professor Andre Gagne. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Jan, for having me. Wow, you know, this was uh, this this topic is huge and 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 for me to just really get it right and wrap my brain around it is um it it was so helpful to have your three-part guide let me just start there so um maybe just starting with why you want why it's so important to understand the new apostolic reformation's goals it's extremely important, especially uh, now, uh, and especially since, in fact, 2016, because uh, in my book, what I explain in American Evangelicals for Trump is I focus a lot on this idea of New Apostolic Reformation, which is uh, a, a, a movement now that uh, was, uh, the name itself was coined by this uh, professor uh, called C. Peter Wagner, and um, it's, it's all about uh, its political theology, because what we're seeing and what we have seen in 2016, if you remember, 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump. And uh, when he presented himself for a second term in 2020, uh, the same amount of percentages were uh, between 76 and 81% of, again, those white evangelicals supporting Trump. And what we realize is that a lot of those people that have been close to political power, close to Trump uh, during his presidency, were people that embraced ideas that emerge from the New Apostolic Reformation. And mainly why it's important for Americans to understand what this is, is because of their political theology of power. And, uh, you know, so this is, of course, these are Christians that have a view of politics and how they should be involved in politics in order to shape policies that will align with their vision of what they call uh, essentially uh, the kingdom of God. So essentially, you know, if we want to use a specific term to d- define this is what is called dominion theology. 
So dominion theology is essentially, it's a theocratic idea where it is believed that Christians should exercise dominion over every aspect of society by taking control of political, social, and uh, cultural institutions. And the New Apostolic Reformation and key leaders of the New Apostolic Reformation have been pushing uh, for their agenda through politics. And Trump was uh, actually, for them, the perfect candidate that could eventually uh, make their dreams come true. So it's very important for journalists, for people in general, and this is why I wrote this book. Uh, the book explains the political theology. It explains the, the kind of strategies that these people have to infiltrate politics and bring about societal transformation. Now, you you know, you call this movement, the new apostolic movement, yeah. um, authoritarian and anti-democratic, and that it can't be you know, minimize, because they aren't self-appointed either. There are huge networks. Yes, exactly. The thing is, this this movement, just to kind of give a bit of a history of what it is and where it came from and how come this individual called C. Peter Wagner, who actually passed away in 2016, why did he call this the New Apostolic Reformation? So C. Peter Wagner was, uh, for many years, a missionary. He was a missionary in Bolivia. And after a certain time, he became a professor. He taught at a seminary in Pasadena, California, called Fuller Theological Seminary. And he, thought, and he was a teacher there for 30 years. He specialized in what is called church growth. He wanted to understand why across the world certain churches were growing while others were not. And what he started realizing is that the churches that were growing were churches that were headed by strong, charismatic individuals that functioned a bit like CEOs. You see, what we're used to when we're, we're thinking about the church is we're used to a more kind of a democratic model of church governance where you have priests or pastors and where, where the laity is involved in, in the types of decisions that are taken in churches. Now, the types of churches that Wagner was uh, observing uh, across the world, these churches that were growing, were led by, you know, these, these, these very strong charismatic leaders that function a bit like managers, and that gave a strong directional leadership to those churches. And often, those individuals were, were, took on for themselves the, 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 the title of apostles, you see, like of apostolic figures, which are strong leadership figures that God supposedly calls to lead the church uh, according to his will. Now, what he observed, um, he, he tried to define this, and by defining it, he used this, this new apostolic reformation. And he said, this, this, uh, this movement is such a, a, a global phenomenon that uh, it's changing, literally, the face of Christianity around the world. And eventually what he realized is that this movement uh, took more time than other places to penetrate the U.S. He started noticing an uptick of these types of churches around 2001. 
and he called this the second apostolic age in, in, in America. And from that, this idea, so, so Wagner did not invent the new apostolic reformation. He, he essentially called something that actually already existed, the strong uh, churches growing with, with these types of CEO pastors or apostles, and now he, he turned that new apostolic reformation. And these groups, eventually what he did is he created networks to sustain these types of churches in the U.S. and elsewhere globally. But what these churches have in common is that they have a certain way of conceptualizing church governance. For them, it's about apostolic governance. It is not functioning according to a, a more democratic model of governance where, for example, congregations vote for their pastors who they want for pastors. No, it's leaders that are often seen as self-appointed up to a certain extent that lead these churches. So this kind of, you know, um, uh, leadership that is, in a sense, more um, less, less democratic as a model uh, comes to permeate those churches, and eventually people in those churches reproduce this kind of attitude outside their churches. So what it, what it, what it causes is that one of the things that they want to do, for example, is this idea of dominion, like I said. So dominion is the exercise of God's authority in one's life, but it's also God's authority and God's will and God's kingdom in society. How do we do that? How do we bring about this change in society? Essentially, through um, capturing these, uh, what they call spheres or cultural uh, mountains of society. So they, they, divide, uh, they divided uh, a kind of strategy. So when we talk about the New Apostolic Reformation, they, they talk about their dominion theology. Now, how do, you, how do you bring dominion into a society? You need to mobilize Christians to do that. So they came up with a strategy that I discuss in my book. I take an entire chapter to talk about that. This strategy is called the Seven Mountain Mandate. The Seven Mountain Mandate. There's more and more journalists that are starting to realize uh, this kind of language. They're starting to pick up on how some Christians use this kind of language, Seven Mountain Mandate. Now, the Seven Mountain Mandate is a mobilizing strategy. It's a kind of a marketing tool that some of these people have to mobilize Christians to accomplish this Dominion Mandate in a given society. The goal is not just America. The goal is actually the world, okay? So the Seven Mountain Mandate is essentially seeing society as seven mountains, mountains that they correspond to or they associate to things, for example, like the government or education, the family, media, arts and entertainment, business, and religion. Now, the goal is for Christians to occupy top positions, for example, in government or in education or in the media or in, in, in the mountain of religion or business and so on, so that they can influence and change the culture of government, education, family, media. 
But if these individuals have a dominion theology, meaning that they are to exercise their authority in the world and bring about God's kingdom into the world, that means bringing the kingdom of God into politics, bringing the kingdom of God into education and the family and media and so on. So it's to change the values of politics, education, media, business, religion, and make it and align it to what they see as biblical principles or principles that align themselves with the Bible, essentially. You know, one of the um, takeaways for me, I mean, there's so much here, but I, is this, <laughs> is this, um, is to ask if these leaders consider, are considered to be apostles. So, I mean, we just need to ask whether or not they tell us or try <laughs> to, try to um, uh, minimize that they are yeah. apostles. But apostles or prophets as opposed yeah. to pastors or ministers. So, yeah. you know, apostles and prophets can come in all kinds of characters, right? Yes, yes. The thing is, you see, the, the more traditional way of understanding apostles and prophets is this idea that apostles are these uh, 12 disciples that Jesus chose. You know, when Jesus was around, if you read the Gospels, for example, Jesus had 12 apostles. So the title or the function of apostle is generally, by, by most, understood as referring to the, the, the apostles of Jesus. But they believe that, for example, when they read the New Testament, they read other parts of the Bible, they believe that apostles are still, um, are still in operation today. You see, they, 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 it's not something of the past, that people still, that God still calls individuals to become apostles and calls individuals to be prophets. A prophet is someone that speaks the words of God, eh, that receives divine revelation from God and speaks the messages of God. So they believe that this is actually still in operation today. And that is a bit like when we talk about the New Apostolic Reformation, this is the core tenet of their belief in terms of governance, is that these individuals, and especially apostles, are gifted by God to provide leadership to the Church, but also this leadership uh, goes beyond that. Um, many of these apostles find themselves sometimes or embrace this idea that God has called them to become apostles to the nation. You hear some of them brag on their social media feed, for example, that they met with uh, this president or this important minister in this country. Uh, and why do they do that? Because they try to influence. They try to bring about societal change. They try to um, focus on the idea that, you know, if their country, uh, if they go to a given country anywhere in the world, in Africa or in, in, uh, uh, in South America or elsewhere, and they meet with important political leaders, they're going to try to influence them, uh, these political leaders, to embrace uh, their view of Christianity for the betterment of their society, you see? But that's a way for them to establish the kingdom of God. You see, their vision is not about, like, one day God is going to, or Jesus will come back, because many Christians believe in the, in the, in the return of Christ, Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom on earth. No, their vision is that Christians now, 
have the responsibility to actually build the kingdom of God on earth. That's their mission. And the leaders that will bring them to realize this mission is these are these apostles and prophets. So the leader, it's it's not how they live their life and how they live their values, but whether or not they they take steps to preserve um, and to enact this plan. And so what does that mean then about Donald Trump? Essentially, for them, Donald Trump was a key uh, was a key person. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there were there were several news articles when Donald Trump was elected that many of these types of Christians viewed Donald Trump as chosen by God. You had a lot. You had a couple of of uh, you know news articles dealing with that. It's because. Uh, some of these individuals, there's one person in particular that I focus on in my book, uh, this, this uh, Christian entrepreneur that is also uh, seen as a kind of an apostle, prophet, teacher guy. His name is Lance Walnow, and he wrote a book in 2016 called God's Chaos Candidate, and it's about Trump. Essentially, according to Walnow, God revealed to him, Walnow, that Trump was to be a kind of a new Cyrus figure. Like in the Bible, Cyrus is uh, depicted, Cyrus, King Cyrus was actually the uh, a Persian king that lived uh, in the 6th century before Common Era. And in the Bible, he is referred to as Cyrus the Great. But what's interesting, in the Bible, Cyrus uh, is found, his, his name is found, for example, in one of the books of the Bible called the, 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 the book of the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, Cyrus, through the, through the mouth of the prophet, through the Isaiah, is called God's Messiah, God's chosen one, because God chose this ancient king to deliver the ancient Israelites from their state of captivity and re- help them return to their land, build their, their, their city and rebuild their temple. So while now compared Donald Trump to Cyrus, he said, one day I was reading scripture and I felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to go to Isaiah chapter 45. And then he read about Cyrus and he made this connection between Cyrus because he said, Oh, it's interesting. Chapter 45 of the book of Isaiah, 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. (laughs) So he he made this kind of coincidental connection between Cyrus and Trump because of this uh, so-called revelation that he had. Now, for for them, Trump is important because Trump incarnates one who has been successful in those mountains of cultures uh, that, I, that I mentioned. You remember I talked about those seven mountains, like education and politics and so on. So many of them saw Trump as a, a successful individual before even becoming president, a kind of a leader in the world of business, for example. The Trump name was known across the world. Or 
in uh, the realm of media and art and entertainment huh? because he had the number one show uh, when he was uh, uh, on television, The Apprentice, and at one time he mastered Twitter and so on. So for them, they saw Trump, and they do still see Trump, as a model of what it means to conquer those seven mountains of man, those seven mountain man, this seven mountain mandate. So if Trump is chosen by God and becomes president, he will facilitate for Christians that have this dominion view, he will facilitate them to penetrate the mountains of culture. He will, he will get them into government. He will facilitate uh, changes in terms of legislation. He will uh, help them, you know, change the educational system and, and so on. So this is why Trump is important. This is why he was important in 2016. And this is why he's still important in 2024, because they still support him, this, 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 these, these individuals. They, they still support Trump. So this is why Donald Trump is a key figure, because he is chosen by God. He's like this new modern-day Cyrus that will restore America, bring America back to God. But you see, what, what happens with this is a lot of people are, are kind of confounded with this idea that why would God choose Trump? <laughs> you know, he doesn't seem to reflect those Christian values with his, you know, multiple lies and, and so on, uh, the type of language that he uses and so on. He doesn't seem to be the best uh, model for Christians, at least in terms of uh, ethical conduct. But for them, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter, because in their estimation, God can choose any kind of individual, he can choose the worst sinner to accomplish his will. And while now we'll say, for example, that, you know, Cyrus, King Cyrus, was a pagan king. He was a Persian king that uh, worshipped other gods, that didn't necessarily worship the god of the ancient Israelites, but God still called him his Messiah, his anointed one, his chosen one, to accomplish his will. And in Walnau's book, God's Chaos Code, he mentioned yeah. other Cyrus-type political rulers, correct? Pardon me? In the book, God's Chaos yeah. Code, he yeah. mentions yeah. other Cyrus-type oh, rulers. Absolutely. absolutely. For him, it's not even just Donald Trump. He uses this Cyrus paradigm for as other strong political we would we would label right-wing rulers across the globe, like Jair Bolsonaro at the time, you see? Viktor Orban uh, in, in Europe, and so on. So other political figures, God would raise them as Cyruses to bring about change in their countries and specifically bring about or, or make sure that their countries return, in his estimation, to their Judeo-Christian roots, you see, to their Judeo-Christian foundation. So that's, for him, of course, the Cyrus figure becomes a paradigm 
for these type of strong political leaders. Now Absolutely. You, now, if you're just tuning in, we've just got a couple of minutes left. I'm speaking with Andre Gagne, chair of the Department of Theological Studies at Concordia University in Montreal, and his most recent book is American Evangelicals for Trump, Dominion, Spiritual Warfare, and the End Times, also um, co-author of a three-part reporter's guide on the new apostolic reformation. Um, with the time we have left, I want to talk about how expansive um, these uh, uh, apostolic networks are so we we need to be asking people and when we are we are looking at these players whether or not they are considered apostles and prophets but how do we know who these apostolic networks are because again these leaders are not self-appointed they have all of this behind them Yes, yes, absolutely. This is a great question, John. And in my three-part series with Fred Clarkson, uh, we do name certain very important apostolic networks. And one of those, if you want to have a sense of what this looks like at, in terms of its global you know, impact, is what is called the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, ICAL. And this is a coalition of apostles. That is numbered at about 2,000 across the world, and, and, and is present in about 85 countries, you see? And they share those ideas of how, you know, the Church should be governed, and the role of apostles, and, uh, you know, their impact in how things unfold, not only in the Church, but also their calling into the world into you know various spheres of cultural influence and of course they embrace ideas like the seven mountain mandate and and the dominion mandate and things like that so it's looking at those types of networks that often you know they do have web pages and things like that but you need to become a member uh, you need to be uh, to be a kind of an insider. You need uh, to become a member. Uh, Andre, <laughs> you need to be an apostle. You uh, Andre Gagne, I have to. Um, uh, we're running out of time. I want folks to to um, know they can also read your pieces at Religion Dispatches. I'm Andre Gagne, a professor and chair of Dep- at the Department of Theological Studies at Concordia University in Montreal. The book American Evangelicals for Trump. Hey, thank you so much. We're going to have to talk again. Um, Wow, so much to think about. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Jan.